Well, good evening and welcome to our Saturday night church service here at Second Congregational Church. I'm Reverend Sean, and that's not Ellie, that's Gina. Let's uh, wave to her, say hi. Thank you for leading worship. Yes, otherwise it would have been me, and I don't sound that as good. Um, So I've been bringing a lot of what I learn at school here into church. Uh, I'm studying to be a psychoanalyst. If you could tell, Ashley begged me not to wear this shirt tonight. Uh, I'll show it on the camera. But it says, forever young. I want to be forever young. Uh, But what I like about psychoanalysis and what it do, what it really does is it gets under underneath who you are it has to do with the unconscious you know how you're conscious right now you're making decisions uh, it, there's this belief that there's unconscious an unconscious part of yourself you ever t- talking to your spouse or somebody and uh, you know they say hey you, you never clean up your area and then they just flip out on you and you're like, I just, all I was just saying is clean up your area. But they get so mad at you for saying that. And we call that triggered. But what you've done is you've hit something in their unconscious. Maybe they heard that a lot. Maybe they're disorganized and you just pointed it out. And they get upset as a defense mechanism because they don't like something that you spoke to their unconscious. So the unconscious has to do with what's underneath us. And all of us have it going on all of the time. And what you do in psychoanalysis is you talk and you talk and uh, you start to repeat things, you start to reflect and you analyze, you psych, psyche, your mind, and analysis, you analyze your psyche. And as you're talking about it, your analyst, your therapist, will make you upset and frustrate you and you're going to work through what's going on underneath and it's usually related to a trauma or something that's happened to you in the past, and you can work through it. I had back pain. I didn't realize I was holding it in my, in my back because it was a little bit of anger, a little frustration. It's gone. I went to every doctor, couldn't fix it. My wife and I couldn't get pregnant for 10 years after we had our kids. I started doing psychoanalysis, and now I can't sleep, you know, because now we have a little baby. But I think, you know, Jesus is often go around, going around in the Bible healing people. And what I think he was doing was he was speaking to the pe- persons what's going on underneath them. Why are you possessed by demons? Well, maybe you're carrying something. Because when people get mad and upset, what do they say sometimes? I don't know what came over me, <laughs> right? Almost like I was like possessed. Right? By a demon. But it's talking about what's going on underneath. Back then they didn't have uh, this type of language. We have different language. But I think it's saying the same thing. So that's why I'm talking about it. And Young, as we've looked at, was a Christian. He, went, he was a pastor's kid. He grew up in the parsonage. And I won't go through that sermon again, but you can go check out part one if you'd like. But today we're going to look at the Bible. We're going to continue to look at the Bible, this big book right here. Let's, let, let me check and see if there's anything underneath. No? But we're going to look at it with the psychoanalytic lens. You ever go to Barnes & Nobles and you see the men's Bible, the, the, the women's Bible, the teen Bible, the, the, uh, 
the addicts Bible, the uh, you know I sports Bible. <laughs> There's different versions, and what those versions of the Bible do is they take. It's like your glasses. You know, you, you put on one lens and you say, "I'm going to read the Bible through this lens," and the stories that pop up that relate to that lens speak to you. So we're putting on the psychoanalytic lens. We're going to analyze the Bible because who wrote the Bible? People. And what do all people have? A conscious and an unconscious. So we're going to see what's being said underneath the Bible. And Carl Jung, uh, with Sigmund Freud, created this psychoanalytic process. And in psychoanalysis, believe it or not, I'm taking dreams too this semester. We analyze dreams because dreams are your unconscious speaking. When you go to sleep, what goes to bed? Your conscious. It turns off. It you go like that. And then what happens? This whole world, you usually forget it. Sometimes you remember it. Uh, but Freud said that dreams are the royal road to the unconscious. So if you remember your dreams, sometimes a patient will bring that to me and we'll analyze it. And they'll go, wow, I can't believe what, what that meant. And dreams are, you know, dreams are a fascinating subject to study. Uh, we've seen in this series, are there dreams in the Bible? Lots of dreams, lots and lots of dreams. Uh, Joseph, Abraham, Daniel, uh, one of their big things was interpreting dreams. So we've seen that in the Bible. And Carl Jung said, we've forgotten the age-old fact that God, what did we have? The Bible just fell out of the sky? <laughs> no, it came first through dreams. Abraham had a dream and a vision about God that he would have a kid, that the angels came. Then, later, much, much later, somebody wrote it down. So do you know that picture of the iceberg? You know, there's the part that's on top of the water, and then there's a bigger part underneath, a bigger part of the iceberg. There's one part that you can see, and one part that you can't see. And the image expresses how one part of us is out here. We call it our persona. Or Jim Carrey had a great movie called The Mask. It's, you put on this mask, and that's who you are out here. On Instagram, you show your persona. You don't ever take a video of the fight you had and post that up there. You don't do that. Or when you get a ticket, you don't put that. You post the nice things. Look at me. You know, take a picture of me here with the flowers. So... Uh, what that picture expresses and what it's trying to say is there's a surface version of things and there's an under-the-surface version of things. And it's much like God. You know, God is... Do you, who's seen God lately? Nobody, right? Where does God exist? In your thoughts and in your imagination. When you pray, do you call God... Do you call his phone? Hey, God, what's up? And he says, hey, what's going on? That's not how it happens. You close your eyes, right? When you close your eyes, what are you doing? You're shutting out the conscious world, and you speak in your, in your mind. God exists in your mind, in your psyche, in your imagination. When you read the Bible, you don't see God exactly, right? You don't see him. He doesn't show up and part the sea. He just, it says that that's what happened. So you don't see who God is exactly. You see the top of the iceberg. You see God acting. 
But we all know the Bible is a story about God. And to find him in the text, you're going to have to look underneath it. In many ways, humanity, all of us, right, we're like the top of the iceberg. And underneath is where you find God. In the unconscious, right? When, whenever somebody says, I've had an experience with God, it's what? A vision or a dream. When we read the Bible, we're looking at the surface of how God works in humanity. But to know God is to know the one acting underneath in the invisible realm, hidden to us. That is why I want to put on the psychological lens and see the Bible as a psychological drama because I've learned how to hear the unconscious in people and I'm applying it to the Bible. And when you do this, you can explore who God, what God was doing back then, what God is doing today, and find the God underneath the story. Some people have dream journals next to their beds. You know, they'll wake up and say, oh, I've got to write this down. And they, they want to reflect on them. You ever tell somebody your dream? It sounds like a good idea at first. But when you try to, it's bizarre. It's, it's almost ridiculous the way it sounds. Uh, but what is happening is in the unconscious realm, there's no time and space. You can be one person this minute. You could be old in one image. You could be young in another. You could be flying. You could be falling. When you try to bring your dream into the, into the conscious world, it's hard to explain. You see, with the Bible, we come across the same problem. Right? It's a, it's a hard book to sometimes understand because it's mostly made up of dreams and visions. In it, we have a God who emerged out of the consciousness of humanity, beginning with Israel, right? That's where we got the Bible from. They had dreams and visions of God, and then Jesus comes, the incarnation of God, God in the flesh, and everybody accepted him. Oh, you're finally here. No, they they were confused by him. God exists in the invisible, not in the reality. What are you doing here, Jesus? God had been hidden for so long. God was just a guy floating on the cloud, uh, talking as a burning bush. But all of a sudden, this guy Jesus says that he's God walking among them. Some people recognize him. Some people don't. They'd gotten used to God giving orders from on high or from within. They were used to the God of dreams and visions not the God who spoke to you face to face. But to understand Jesus, our Lord and Savior, we must understand where he came from. Where did Jesus come from? Everyone always asks me that, right? That's the the trick question. Well, if God created everything, who created God, right? (laughs) In Genesis, we know how all this got made. It says, in the beginning, when God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was formless, Void uh, uh, was a formless void and darkness covered the face of the deep while a wind from God swept over the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Simple. God then proceeds to order the world. But in the Gospel of John, 
written thousands of years later, it says the same thing, like a dream, right? In dream, there's no time because John begins the same way as Genesis begins. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. How could, how could Jesus be with God? He's here with us right now. See, it's a book of dreams. Sometimes it doesn't make sense if you don't look at it like that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. What has come into being was life, and life was, and this life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So we have a similar beginning, right? Light coming into the world in Genesis. I thought already God put light in the world. But then John says, light's coming into the world in John. But this life is more defined in John. In Genesis, it says, God, let there be light. God said, let there be light. But in John, it says, what has come into being in him was life. And the life was the light of all the people. When you're trained to read this, you can hear the nuance, the shift in the language. Because it's literally saying that the word, Jesus, was the light of all the people. It came from the people. Jesus came from the people. It was their idea of a perfect father, ordering the world, giving them laws, guiding them through the desert. You see, in the Old Testament, God existed only in one's dreams and visions. But in the New Testament, God exists in a life, in the person of Jesus Christ. And those who recognized Jesus saw who he was by looking back at the hints. We call them prophecies in the dream material we call scripture. They were like memories, but they didn't take place yet. When it says in the Old Testament, before Jesus was even around, it says this, he'll be born of a virgin. How did that guy know? And he will be a sanctuary, but also a stone that Israel is going to stumble with. It says he's going to come from Naphtali, and Galilee will be honored by all the nations. Do you know why I went to Israel? Because I like the desert? No. Because of Galilee. Because of Jesus. But how did this guy know before Jesus came from Galilee that Jesus would come from Galilee? He had a dream. He had a vision. In another place it says, For a child has been born to us, a son given to us, and the authority is upon his shoulders. He'll be the wondrous advisor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father. And we're going to call him Prince of Peace. He'll sh- he'll, he'll, he shall set up a banner for the nations and as- assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Another passage we attribute to Jesus, it says, In the days to come, the mount of the Lord's house shall stand firm above the mountains and tower above the hills, and all the nations shall gaze on it with joy. Right? We love Israel. Why? 
because of this guy. Do you know who gives the most money to Israel? Christians. <laughs> the most famous example of Christ in the Old Testament text is he was wounded for our transgressions. How did he know this? So, you know, sometimes it's like, well, I don't know if Jesus really was. But then you read this and you go, oh, this is exactly what happened on that cross. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Before God comes to us in the man named Jesus, we hear hints about him in the Old Testament. From within the imagination of the Jewish prophets, we have a shadowy dream image of what he would look like. God the Father who created the heavens and the earth. The God who gave laws and rituals to Moses. Moses even said, can I see you, God? And God said, no, you can't see me. <laughs> you can just talk to the bush. The God who spoke to Abraham in the form of three angels. This God would eventually come and break through the invisible realm of the unconscious, out of the imagination, out of their dreams, and enter the conscious world. So who is Jesus? Who's this guy we built this building for? Who's our Lord and Savior? Who is the character that emerged 2,000 years ago that we're still talking about? When Moses met God in the form of a vision, a burning bush, he said, I want to know your name. Can you at least tell me your name? Who am I talking to? God had no form yet. He had no other name than yud Hey vav Hey. You might see Y-W-H-W. And that's, I am what I am. He was just what he was, an idea, a dream, something that the people imagined to exist. They imagined a God who was all-powerful, right? If you were thinking about a God, tell me if this is not what you would describe him as. Let's make him all-powerful. Let's make him all-knowing, all-seeing. He will be a he, definitely. He's got to be a guy, right? Of course. Uh, eternal and endless. They imagined a God who controlled the weather, who ordered the planets and stars, who was present but distant. They imagined a God who was greater than they are. God can, God is unapproachable. You know, they used to tie a rope to the priest's leg. And when he would go into the, into the Holy of Holies, just in case God might get, if he had a sin, God might be mad. So they tied a rope to his legs so they could pull him out. And then somebody came along and destroyed the temple. There was no God in there. This is their imagination. This is what they believed God to be. That God was holy, nothing like him, unapproachable. But one day, under a fig bush, we used to have a fig bush in front of our house, not a burning bush, under a fig bush, Jesus appears in Israel to a guy named Nathaniel, one of the first disciples. He doesn't say vaguely, I am who I am. Try that this week. Hey, what's your name? I, I, I am what I am. He instead says, Nathaniel, I know who you are. The story of the Bible for us Christians, that is the Old and New Testament, is the story of how an imagined God becomes a real man. It's the story of how Israel found this idea of God and they, 
how they imagine God to be, a God who is perfect and blameless, a God who wants things done exactly. If you read the Old Testament, God is kind of has OCD. He wants things done exactly the way or else. A God who's intolerant of wrongdoing. You know, Zeus, the, the God of the Greeks, he didn't care what humans did. You know, sometimes he'd throw a lightning bolt at their... But our God, this God, was really, like, intensely involved. A God who calls things clean and unclean. God who's patriarchal. God who doesn't like our lusts and desires. They need to be kept under strict control. For Israel, God was the ideal man, the light of the world, a king. That's what they called him, Adonai, Lord. They bowed before him, and in their tents, they would act out rituals in their sanctuaries, in their temples, rituals and uh, sacrifices to cleanse them from their sins. The story of God unfolds. It's a big book. It's not chapter one and done. It's a big book that unfolds over a long period of time. And that idea, that image of God, that vision and dream eventually manifests out of the unconscious Remember Jesus said, what, how do you get into the kingdom of heaven? You've got to be born again. The idea of God becomes born. And yud heh vav Yahweh, becomes a human being. And he walks among the people. No longer a mysterious, shadowy figure. If you've read the book of Daniel, there is actually a mysterious, shadowy figure that people think is God. In relation to Jung, to Jung, it's the story of an archetype. An archetype is like this original image. It's, but it doesn't exist. It just exists in the unconscious. In relation to Jung, it is the story of an archetype that actually comes to life. When an image that exists in our dream in our mind. Before we had our baby, I had a vision of us having a kid. I even told my psychoanalyst. I even told Ashley. So the day she told me she was pregnant, she goes, you're not surprised. I said, I know. I knew this. I even had a name for him, Abraham. Go to my house. You'll see it's real. Look the bags under my eyes. You'll see it's very real. Out of Israel's image of God, out of their imagination of what God might be, that image is born into the world. It becomes real. That's where Jesus came from. That's who Jesus is. He is God, Yahweh in the flesh, no longer a vision, no longer a dream, no longer an ideal. 
he is now just like us. And today we get to say his name. It's Yeshua, which translated as Josh. I love that. Sometimes I call Jesus Josh. God made man. And why did God take on such a form? Why did God become one of us? To show us something. That God had learned what it was to be a human being. What it was to be made into a finite creature with fears, doubts, shame, guilt, worry, stress. It's hard making those cabinets, you know, especially by the deadline. Jesus shows us how to live. Did Jesus have any children? No. But he takes us all on as his children. That's why he didn't have any kids, because he had to take us all on as kids. Jesus comes as God and takes us as God's children. He shows us the complete law. Remember, he said, I've, not, I've come not to abolish the law. I've come to complete it. I just, you know, where I was, I didn't realize I was asking too much. <laughs> and he makes it very practical. The first law is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, don't do the rest. Don't, this, don't do the 618 laws. There's not just 10. <laughs> That's how they get you in the door. Oh, sign up, 10 laws. And then they go, oh, there's actually 618, sorry. Jesus says, let me sum up the law for you. Now that I'm a human, let me tell you what it is. It's just two. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says these are the two greatest commandments. And these instructions, you know, now we're like, oh, just two, that's easy. Well, don't take those too lightly. <laughs> take them very seriously. For they are the recipe on how human beings will become like Jesus and how God how Yahweh will come alive in you, just like he did Jesus. It's the recipe for how we'll be turned from children of the world. That's what the Bible says. He was born first by his parents, but then born of God. You and I are born by our parents. How the heck are we going to become children of God? That's the recipe. Follow those two commandments. Jesus became God and now we are called to become like Jesus. I'm saying something in that sentence. Jesus lived out his own commandment. He the fulfillment of all the dreams of Israel. Everything they believed God might be and everything they couldn't imagine God might become. Maybe we want more of a God than just a human being who loved their neighbor as themselves. That's a whole other topic. Loving yourself. Maybe we'll, we're going to talk about that next week. And young, that's a very Jungian concept. You might have heard it, maybe not, but it's the integration of the shadow. Shadow's the other part of you, the unconscious part. But that is what Jesus was, a person who learned to love himself and who became love incarnate. 
Yahweh started as a dream. So that's what you can say. I know where God came from. Started as a dream, a vision, an invisible character that existed in the imagination of a people. And he became a visible character. Right? Martin Luther King had what? A dream. And then what happened to that dream? It be, it's still becoming a reality. Jesus is a character that now exists in our imagination. He's not here anymore. Some people want to turn Jesus back into the same God that existed all those years ago. He exists in our imagination now. We've got to follow his directions, his recipe, to love him with our whole heart. How can you love what you don't know? So that's why we're talking about him, to get to know him, where he came from. When we make Jesus, when we worship him, that was the, the song Gina sang about worship, all creatures. Because when you worship something, when you focus on them, this idea of Jesus can start to become alive in you. That's why you praise him. You don't go to church and say, I praise Jesus, but I don't love my neighbor as myself, and I can't tell you a thing about Jesus, but I have a bumper sticker on my car. That's not what Christianity is. To praise him is to worship him, is to know him, is to make him come alive in you. Do you know that? Jesus can live in 2021 when we worship him. And what does it mean to worship? To know who he is and learn what he taught. When we love ourselves and when we love our neighbors equally, Jesus comes back to life. Remember when Jesus died and then right after he's walking down the Damascus Road and his disciples, they don't recognize him. It's somebody else. But as he starts teaching, they go, oh my gosh, you're Jesus. That guy started living out Jesus' teachings. He became like Jesus. Jesus was back alive. Jesus wasn't kidding. He's alive when you and I live it out. You see? That's where he exists, in the unconscious. That's where he is right now, in the invisible realm. Luke 11 says the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus comes back to life when we understand him. Next week, we're going to take a look at that. It's right there in Jesus' commandment, loving your neighbor as yourself. That starts with loving yourself. You can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. And that's very Jungian. What is yourself? What are you? So until then, meditate on the person of Jesus. We're going to listen to some couple more songs and we're going to pray that's that's what you do when you do meditating on jesus because when we understand jesus we'll understand who we are who we want to be for he is who we look to as the archetype of ourselves amen